You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Kalechi Anyadegu. Kalechi is the founder of Zuva, an online community and marketplace for African-inspired fashion. Zuva helps emerging African fashion brands increase revenue, scale operation, and streamline their process with ease, their easy-to-use online platform for social selling and personal shopping. The mission of Zuva is to give African fashion labels the tools they need to transform their brands and bring authentic African-inspired fashion to the mainstream. And in 2016, Kalechi was named on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for retail and e-commerce. On this episode, you'll learn how she got the idea and started Zuva with $500 and now in 2016 is expected to earn $2 million in sales. So welcome to the show, Kalechi. Let's get right into it. It. Awesome. Thank you. Um, it's so great to have you. I, you know, in the pre-chat talked about how I've been meaning to reach out to you since I saw you at the Blavity Empower Her conference. So, so glad we're finally getting to chat. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, because I know that had to influence the entrepreneur you are today. Um, so, you know, what was your, your childhood like and, and what do you think influenced your entrepreneurial drive? Um, I mean, I grew up in Jersey. Um, both my parents are um, Nigerian immigrants, so they came here in the 70s, 80s. Um, and so I think that for me, growing up in a Nigerian household, I was always influenced by my culture, who I was, um, my, my um, history, um, my ancestors. And so I think that just being a part of all of that, um, being so close to aunties and uncles that uh, my parents had grown up with and, you know, growing up with um, quote unquote cousins um, and friends who were also from the same cultural background as me heavily influenced. um just, you know, my pride in my Nigerian culture. And so I think that, um, you know, that um, and then, you know, just watching my parents, my dad moved back to Nigeria in the early 2000s to start his business. Oh, wow. Um, so he, uh, you know, spent over 20 years here in America and one day just decided that, um, you know, he wanted to do something that would make more impact um, on his communities. And so he, you know, went back to Nigeria and started a business. And so um, I think that there's, there's watching him and then my mom, who's a professor um, at a university. She's a, she's a professor currently at Michigan State University and just watching her. And, you know, just always listening to how brilliant she was and the way she talked about African economies and African politics and the books that she wrote um, and seeing her run African studies centers. You know, I think just, you know, um, just I, I just I, I took them the perfect blend of both of them um, of just really just watching and just being inspired by the work that both of them do. Um, and then I think for me, just always being, you know, really interested in technology being into web design, user experience design. Um, I went to a bunch of, when I was a kid, I went to a bunch of like these summer camps that had to do with like 
newspaper layout and stuff like that. Like I've always just been interested in just the ways that people kind of visualize media. And so um, I think going into college, I studied um, media arts and technology, which is a pretty broad major, but I learned about web design, Photoshop, and just kind of like the really front end creative side of things. And so, um, you know, I took that into grad school. Um, I studied user experience design. Um, and then, you know, just one day I decided to use those skills in kind of front end design and marketing, um, social media, and combined it with my love of fashion. I've always been a mini fashionista. After um, <laughs> my mama, because she's definitely a diva. <laughs> And I've always been called fashionista by friends and strangers and coworkers and everybody. So um, I found an opportunity to be able to mix kind of my love for fashion with my with my love for Africa um, and do it in a way that would, you know, support designers globally and give them an opportunity to, you know, um, really create impact for themselves and for people around them. That's that's awesome. And before we get into more about your startup process, can you tell us more about how Zuva works for those who haven't um, used the site? Yeah, I mean, Zuva is a multi-vendor marketplace. Um, so it operates like an Etsy or an Amazon or an eBay. Um, designers, they go, uh, they go on the site and they create independent storefronts and they upload images of their designs. Um, and then consumers can go and shop these designs. And um, they place an order, get to them maybe two to three weeks later. Um, and, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, we use social media and social selling to um, heavily market um, and to tell those stories globally. So walk us through the creation now. I've read, you know, you talked about being a fashionista and I've read that the idea started with just, you know, getting tons of compliments on your clothes. And after a while, it just kind of clicked for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, growing up, I've always loved, you know, representing my cultural pride by wearing African inspired pieces. Uh, I remember when I graduated from college, I had a piece that was made for my graduation. Um, I would wear pieces to class, to work, to the mall, wherever. And people always ask me about it, like, you know, where do you get that? I've never seen anything like that before. Um, and, you know, I guess I just I never really realized how spoiled I was. You know, I would have aunties who would bring <laughs> for me from Nigeria. But, you know, it, it, it clicked on me, like, just how inaccessible these pieces were to people in Western markets. Um, not everyone has aunties in, in, in Africa who can bring them these pieces. And, you know, there's not a lot of places, physical or online, where you can, where you can go, to, go to purchase these pieces and be confident in what you're getting. So I want to create a solution where people could feel confident in their purchases um, and, and also just get to know, um, you know, the designer that they're purchasing from. So what were some what were some of the first steps you took to take Zuva from idea to brand? Um, the very first thing I did was um, start the social media. I, I started Instagram and Facebook. Um, I think Instagram caught on much more quickly. Um, I just uh, went at it. I just kind of um, started using pictures and hashtags and was refining and learning and looking at comments and looking at likes and just, you know, continuing to find ways to really um, gauge engagement and, you know, really looking to how to 
um, continue to gauge what people really wanted. And so, um, so yeah, which is kind of heavily on social media, posting six to ten times every single day, um, and just continually getting that feedback. And so that was like the first like six months. Okay, uh, kind of grew the 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 social media, Instagram especially. What were you posting? Were you posting the designs of uh, vendors or designers you knew were going to be on Zuva or just in general, like street fashion, street wear? Yeah, I was just posting random street fashion, things that I would find um, on the internet, on using hashtags. Um, I, I posted that mainly like for the first two or th- two, three months. Um, and then by the three month, Mark, um, you know, the social media was growing so quickly, I was able to start recruiting vendors. Um, and so I was, I was able to start um, promoting their stuff. I was able to start saying, you know, oh, so-and-so is coming to Zuba soon. So I was focusing more on the vendors who were actually selling through the marketplace. Um, and then by the six months, I had a solid 20, 30 vendors. Um, so I, I started focusing more on their pieces with the inspirational pieces every once in a while. Um, and so that's kind of how that started. Um, and I think that from the day that we started, we just kind of grew organically. That's so, I'm so intrigued by your business model. One, because, you know, there are a lot of people who social media seems absolutely foreign to them, or they're actually trying, like they want, they're, they're starting an e-commerce brand. And nowadays it's so saturated, they can't get the brand awareness that they're looking for. So can you, if you were to break it down a little bit more, like how did you know which hashtags you wanted to use? Were you tagging people? Like, you know, you were just a, a space on Instagram, a corner of Instagram, but but you were drawing people to you. How? Um, I think that it has more to do with my background than anything. I think that... Um, Having that eye for um, aesthetics and design and fashion um, and just coupling it with um, technology, you know, I was able to have a really good eye for what people liked. So I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it really just comes down to the content. Um, I know the hashtags were uh, an important part of it. Um, but I know like the algorithm then is is kind of different than it is now. I actually think it's much stronger now. Um, and I actually heavily more heavily used hashtags now than I did when I first started. But I think that I was just kind of relying on um, word of mouth. Um, so you know, rather than relying on hashtags, I was relying on you know seeing people tag their friends. So if I posted a picture and someone tagged a lot of friends, then I would know, that's a highly engaged post because they're telling people that about it. Right. And that's kind of more of what I want to see, you know, is people like telling their friends, you know, about, um, about the page. So I, I just focused more on ways to get people opening up, get people talking to us. Um, you know, I don't do it so much anymore, but we used to have like, what was it called? Like Friday night sister chats or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we would post up, how do you feel about, whatever and so people will respond and actually now i think i'm gonna start doing that again because that was really fun but just ways to engage right and so i think that for me um likes are great but i think that for me the most important thing is always engagement and how you're making people feel absolutely and 
Now let's talk a little bit more about getting the designers on board. So it's run similar to Etsy and you are not in charge of the fulfillment. You know, it's up to the designer. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Although we do have services where we do provide fulfillment if they need so, need okay. that. But for the most part, they do it themselves. Got it. So how did you vet them and figure out who you trusted to be on your platform and represent Zuva? And then um, how do you ensure that their customer experience is a good one? Um, I mean, when I first started, I actually just used Etsy. And I would just look at... Um, like their their feedback on Etsy and what people were saying about them. I looked on their social media channels and I looked at what people were saying about them there. Um, I looked at their websites. Um, I looked at, you know, kind of how they presented themselves. Because um, I think that, you know, when we first started, it was a real chicken and egg problem. Um, and so, you know, although the marketplace was created to help designers with... Um, a lot of them, I just said, like, you know, helping them build their brand and helping them to have a, a digital platform. I think that, you know, for the very first designs I wanted to work with, I want to make sure that, you know, they were kind of good on their own um, and just kind of use them as a way to kind of start in the marketplace. So, um, so yeah, I kind of just recruited designers who I thought had really nice things. I personally thought had nice things and designers who, you know, when I posted their stuff on Instagram, people would be highly engaged. Oh, interesting. I never thought of that, that you had, that they actually were already selling in, um, you know, in the international marketplace. They weren't just based in, you know, Nigeria or another African country. Um, I thought you like went and sourced, um, designers who had not yet figured out how to leverage online platforms to, to sell. So then how did you figure out the financial structure, like the percentage of sales to take? Like, what did you base that on? Um, I, st I started off low. Um, I think in the beginning was just kind of proving the theory and kind of showing people um, what Zuba could be because I was pretty confident that, you know, um, we were growing and we would continue growing. So I just started off taking a, taking a very small percentage um, just as a way to kind of attract them to the marketplace. And then, um, yeah, after like the first year of doing that, you know, I was able to create the use case where um, I was able to, you know, double that. And, you know, they were okay with it because, you know, they, you know, were still making revenues through the platform. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that for a lot of them, there was very little risk for being the marketplace. Um, all, they, all they had to do was upload their pictures and if people bought something, they sent it. If not, there, there was no, there's nothing to hurt them. So I think that from the beginning, I just tried to really de-risk it for them. Um, but still make it worth their while. Ah, and then for those that were not able to handle distribution and fulfillment themselves, how did you determine how you were going to do that for them? And, and how do you do that for them? Um, so we're actually launching a service in the new year, a fulfillment service. So where designers send us their pieces and we fulfill for them. So we have an office here in Atlanta and a little fulfillment center. And so every time an order comes in for one of their pieces, we fulfill it for them. Oh, interesting. And so how'd you figure out the best shipping model for international shipping and which vendors to use like DHL versus, um, you know, another vendor? Um, I mean, we just based it on designers or um, based on shipping, um, which that gave us the best deals. And 
um, who we felt like, you know, really was looking to, you know, create a good relationship with us. So, yeah, for us, it was it was a no brainer. Um, we just kind of went with naturally, you know, what made the most business sense. Got it. Um, and I have a lot of people and we have a side hustle pro Facebook community now and people have reached out to me separately. They want to learn more about different e-commerce ideas that they have. And, and I would be interested to know, you know, you, your business is no easy feat, but you've learned a ton. I'm sure. What are the best practices for international e-commerce that you could offer to our listeners? I would say the most important thing is to know your audience. Um, I think that, you know, people think they can just market to everyone, but it's important to think about um, the mindsets of different consumer segments. Um, so I think that, you know, for where we are right now, we're focusing on a very targeted consumer segment, but there are so many more that we hope to target in the new year and we hope that will contribute to growth. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's just very, very important to realize that, um People have different attitudes, different thoughts. They think about things in just ways that you might not even expect. So it's it's just important to elicit that feedback from them. Amen. And speaking of knowing your audience, knowing your target, when it came to things like Facebook advertising, um, were you targeting simply based on lifestyle interests or, uh, uh, you know, ethnic and, and demographic information or all of the above? Um, I, I mean, for our initial consumer market, it was really based more on um, just interest, um, what they like to read, um, who they looked up to, um, what they were talking about. Um, and I think that that gave us a really good start because um, it was a very strong market. Um, but I think that, yeah, we're at a place now where, where we're exploring new segments and new markets and new ways to grow, um, but doing it in a way that, you know, still um, is engaging our current market. So it's a fine line um, that we're kind of playing because we want to make sure that um, we're not forgetting about the current market that we're serving, um, but also that, you know, we're putting the, the, the pieces in place to be able to grow and scale. Mm. Such a, definitely a fine line to like, you know, branch out, but yet still serve that core audience. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. And let's switch gears a little bit to talk about you, Kalechi, before you became the founder of Zuva, your background is in digital media marketing and online community management, right? And and so you touched on social media, but you kind of had, you know, a head start, like you were working in this industry. So tell us about that background and how you started Zuva. Was it a side hustle at this point or were you a full-time student? Yeah, when I started Zuva, I was a student. Um, and so it was kind of, I guess, more of a side hustle. Um, I was in grad school during the time um, in Pittsburgh. Um, but, um, I didn't really like grad school, so I left. Um, I think that throughout grad school, I didn't really feel like I wanted to be there. Um, so I was I kind of always had like side hustles. And so I was working in social media marketing and digital media and that, and that kind of gave me a lot of the experience that I needed, 
um, to kind of have the skills I needed to start Zuba. So um, that was 2013, I think it was, when I initially had the idea. Um, 2014, I had had left Pittsburgh, moved to Jersey, um, because, you know, I wanted to be closer to the city, and I thought that would be better for the business, and luckily I had family there, so, you know, it was easy going in and out of the city and doing what I needed to do. Um, and then, yeah, I lived in Jersey for two years, um, and I, I lived at home for two years, um, and I kind of used these two years kind of, um, wearing many different hats, um, kind of doing a little bit of everything. Um, were you working or, um, still, still in grad school at that point or just completely? I was transferred to a different grad school. Okay. Um, and so, because I had like one semester left. And my parents really wanted me to finish. So I was like, and like there was, um, Rutgers was like down the street from me. So I said, let me just, you know, go in once a week, take like one class a semester, um, and just finish this. So technically I was in school. Um, but I was like, more of my time was focused on Zuva. So it was like, it was like 80% Zuva, 20% school. Um, and so, um, I finished grad school earlier this year. Um, and then I moved to Atlanta and I think that moving to Atlanta really uh, was a milestone for me because, um, I wasn't wearing so many hats anymore. I was kind of, I was finally building out my team. I was delegating more. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, running a real company. Hmm. So why Atlanta? Um, Atlanta is our biggest consumer market. So interesting. Our customers come from here. Um, so it just made sense. And it's cheap. <laughs> Definitely cheaper than New York, New Jersey. Um, so something you said uh, stuck out to me. Um, so you're working, you're finishing up grad school for the parents, good old parents. And then it seems like you just made the full-time entrepreneurship leap. Like, did you ever think about um, getting a full-time job to hold you down while you started Zuva? Or by then, were you starting to make income? No, I never wanted a full-time job. Um, I was pretty adamant about that. Um, just, I just always knew that um, nine to five wasn't for me. Um, I've never had a full-time job. I've had internships and stuff, but uh, I'm just, I'm just not a nine to five type of girl. Um, <laughs> do that, you know. I want to make my own hours and kind of do my own thing, and so. I made it happen. So for two years, I just kind of hustled and did what I had to do to um, put food on the table. Um, and, you know, it was fine because I knew that. Kalechi, that um, sounds very cryptic. <laughs> you got to clarify. Um, there's not much to clarify. I mean, I, I didn't have much bills. I lived at yeah. home. Yeah. Car. Um, I mean, you know, I was you know, in school. So I had student loans to eat. Okay. Um, so I just was very lean yeah. with my personal budget and my, um, the, the, the budget for my company. So I just, I made it work. Great. Yeah. I think that's something we all need to have emphasized. Like it's not about making more sometimes it's, it's really just about managing what you have, like, and making it work. 
So you moved to Atlanta. Now, what were some of the first steps you took to start um, pushing Zuva to that next level, like putting it into full gear once you got to Atlanta? Um, I think just, you know, really empowering my team to do the right things. has been really important to us. Um, and so, um, yeah, with that, you know, I was just really delegating more. Um, and just being able to kind of remove myself a bit and think about the big picture of Zuba and how we can really grow. Um, so it's just been exciting just, you know, figuring out strategies to really, uh, really take Zuba to the next level. Okay. So you mentioned a team and we didn't really get into that yet, but, um, when did you start hiring a team? Were they, um, working just for, um, you know, for free at first or were you able to, hire once you were making um, profit? Yeah, I was able to hire um, from from when I hired like my first employee, I was able to pay them. Um, I think that I don't really believe in, in I won't say not having them work for free, but it's just tough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, you know, people got to eat, people have lives and it's, it's very difficult to, um, almost demand people to work at the standards that I need them to work at if they're not being paid. So, um, so yeah, I was able to pay them, you know, um, through our profits and manage it. And, um, and yeah, I think that by empowering them, I've been able to continue making those profits so that, you know, we can continue growing. Speaking of profit, um, now, you know, you've, been in, in articles I've read in, in the Forbes 30 under 30 that you started with 500, but now you're projecting um, 2 million in sales. Now that's no chump change. Um, first of all, how do you wrap your mind around that, that you are at the helm of a $2 million company? And then um, what kind of team have you hired to really manage the, the, the financial structure? Um, It's a blessing. I think that, you know, when I first started Zuva and I started creating the platform and all of those things, um, you know, I didn't really know what it could be. Um, I was just more excited to kind of see what growth would look like. And I think that growth over the years has just been really incredible. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a blessing to um, have those kind of numbers um, and, you know, hopefully to be able to continue growing through the years. Um, I think that with a team, it's just the most important thing for me is to have people who are passionate and excited um, and really believe in the vision. Um, and so I try to keep people around me who, you know, want to build and are excited. Um, and so and that's always the most important thing for me. So um, those are the kinds of people that I'm trying to really, you know, have around me is people who are inspired um, people who get it, people who want to see growth, and people who are just ready to, you know, take over the world with African fashion. <laughs> yes. Um, going back to the um, sales for a second. So how, about how long did it take before you started to reap that profit? And then what were the first things you invested back into your business? Um, it took about a year. Um and I mean, I think that where I saw the most efficient way to invest was into marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, luckily 
knowing who our audience was, I was able to invest it into the right types of marketing um, and, you know, targeting the right types of people. So, um, so yeah, I was kind of able to take what I learned um, and on Instagram and, you know, through, you know, um, people who followed, followed us on Instagram and, you know, just continue to hyper-target people within that consumer segment. Do you um, focus on email marketing as well? And, and how do you think about your sales funnel? Yeah, no, email marketing is also really, really important for us. Um, I think we're doing a couple different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, email marketing is great. You know, having someone dedicated to do that is really, really important and making sure that um, we're designing it in a way that's, you know, just highly engaged and gets people excited. Um, I think that, yeah, social media is really, has been really important as well um, for us. Our events have been really important for us. Um, and just, you know, word of mouth and trying to have the best customer service that we can possibly have. One last thing on the topic of customer service. Um, what have you learned about hiring um, throughout this process? I know you want to hire people who are really passionate, um, but, you know, are there the, any other tips that you can help um, new entrepreneurs who are trying to move their business forward and at the same time find the right team? Um, I would say just be cautious of, um, people who just, who aren't really ready to work. Um, I think, I mean, I get approached by people all the time who, you know, want to be part of Zuba and do this for Zuba and do that, but they don't really understand the work that's involved. Um, so I would say, you know, really find someone who matches your hustle and matches your spirit and, you know, someone who's ready to get down to the nitty gritty and, someone who's just not, you know, um, into like the, the flashy kind of sides of start of having a startup, but, um, are really ready and excited to work. Oh, yeah. oh yes. I think I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, would you say that it is a, a red flag when someone is just more excited about like your business and the press it's getting. And so obviously you want someone who's excited, but you know, how can you differentiate when they're excited and ready to get down or when they're just wanting to be a part of the it thing? Um, I think it's about people who provide recommendations and solutions without, without even asking, but provide it, you know, in a way that makes sense. Right. Cause I feel like, you know, more about your business than anybody else. Right. So if someone says, oh, well, you could be optimizing conversions by doing A, B, and C. And you're like, yeah, I could be. That makes so much sense, right? Like, I mean, these and these are just talking points, right? I think that execution is a whole nother story, right? So I think that um, on one side, you want to have someone who's coming to you saying, you know, okay, I see deficiencies. And, you know, based on my background or my skills or my whatever, um, this is how I feel like we should approach it um then then you know that that person is right because that person's serious yeah 
That's an awesome tip. I, um, you know, it's like you're essentially saying, make sure they're bringing something to the table. <laughs> uh, me and my fiance have this joke about that. One of his friends always talks about, well, you know, what's, what's such and such bringing to the table? But it's so true. It's like, um, that's a telltale sign of if that will be a valuable relationship, uh, whether you're hiring someone or what have you. Um, so why don't we, let's jump in, go ahead and jump into the lightning round. You know, the deal here, you just answer the first thing that comes to to mine. Um, are you ready? Okay. Alrighty. So number one, what's an online resource that has helped you in your business and that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Digitalundivided.com. Tell us more. <laughs> um, Digital Undivided is just a great resource for women of color entrepreneurs, um, great staff who are just really excited to um, help female founders flourish. Number two, what's been your proudest moment since launching Zuva? Um, I think that it's been the vendors who come back and tell me, you know, oh, I've been able to, you know, hire so-and-so in my community to, you know, um, do whatever, whether it be an assistant or, you know, or construct the garments, um, but, um, but yeah, I think that just hearing those stories from vendors has been amazing. Number three, what's the best book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Um, currently, I'm reading um, How to Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer. Um, and that's been a really good book. Ooh, that sounds really good. Is that just like legal tips for entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's about legal tips and venture financing, um, raising money and stuff. Okay, cool. I will link to that in the show notes, guys. All right. Number four, what is a daily practice you use to start your day on the right note and increase your productivity throughout the day? Um, I meditate every morning um, when I get out of bed. Um, I kind of just <sighs> meditate and then just think about how blessed I am and where I am and waking up and just being happy that you know, I'm alive, friends and family are all well, um, I have food, um, and, you know, things might be stressful going to the office, but at the end of the day, you know, um, things are good. So just reminding myself of that every single morning. Oh, cool. And do you use a app to meditate or self-guided? Uh, any resources that you can share with us? Yeah, no, it's more self-guided. Um, you know, yeah, it's more self-guided. Okay. And then finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be like you, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? I would say you have to be confident and you have to trust in your vision. I mean, there's nothing wrong with working and like kind of doing your company as a side. Um I think that the problem with that is that, you know, um, you probably won't get any sleep. Um, and I just think that mental and physical health is just very important for entrepreneurs. And it's something that people don't think about. Um, so um, and I think that, you know, that was definitely a turning point for me in really building my team was um, just working way too much, trying to do everything um, I think it, there's a good article I would recommend. It's by um, Lovey Ajayi. And it was, um, what was it called? It's like 
ending an empire of one. Um, oh, I saw that. I definitely saw that. I w- oh, yeah. I'll link to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's a great article. I think that one, that article just kind of made me, um, it, it just made me realize that I was doing way, way, way too much. Mm. Um, and it, it wasn't manageable. It wasn't scalable. It wasn't smart. It just didn't make sense. So I had to figure out a way to really build a team and empower a team, right? Because I think that, you know, even people have teams, sometimes they tend to, they tend to like be like, oh, well, someone did something wrong. I'll just do it myself. And it's like you have to like be able to let go of things. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people who are perfectionists, that can be really difficult. But you're doing yourself a disservice when you try to make everything so perfect. So, um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, um, really try to um, have that team take care of yourself. You know, it's really important. You can't help anyone. You can't build a company. You can't do nothing if you're sick and, you know, and different things. Um, So, you know, take care of yourself um, and, you know, make sure that you're continuing to foster relationships with your friends and your family and um yeah they're not feeling like they're left out thank you i feel like that is something that we don't talk about enough like when you are grinding and you're neglecting yourself your family your relationships and you look up one day and you're unhappy um so you know i'll definitely link to that article because you're right it was a good one so before we end i would love to know what's next for zuva um, we have a whole bunch of new things in the new year that we're getting ready to launch. Um, and yeah, just just um, follow us on social media and you'll see what they are. Awesome. And the perfect segue, because I want to know what's the best way that we can connect with you and follow you after this episode. Um, Just email collectiazuva.com. And then social media everywhere. Is it at ShopZuva or at Zuva on some um, channels? Yeah, at ShopZuva. Okay, I will link to that as well. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Kalechi. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. All righty, and there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And if you want to hear more from me, you can find me online at SideHustlePro.co and on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SideHustlePro. Talk to you next week.